Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Well, Crossroads, it's great to be with you today. Uh, We are on week 9 of 11 as we've been working our way through the first eight chapters of Hebrews in this series, Greater Than. And uh, as I traveled this summer, whether it was vacation or at denominational meetings, uh, Denise and I on Mondays would be looking for the podcast from Crossroads Church and love tuning in and and listening to the messages from Pastor Ryan and Pastor Don. And throughout this entire series, here's how I've been processing it. I continue to be asking myself just a few questions. Because one thing we know, the preacher, the author of Hebrews, again and again, he's talking about Jesus is greater than. Jesus is just simply greater than. He's greater than everything, and everything we do depends on Jesus. So the question I've been asking myself is, do I really believe that? Do I really believe that? Week in, week out, studying, reading, listening to the sermons of Hebrews. Do I really believe that? And if I really believe that, does my life show it? Does my life really show that Jesus is greater than everything? Uh, Because, man, when we understand that, when we begin to process that Jesus is greater than everything, we also get this, that not only Jesus is greater than everything, that implies, that means that Jesus is always greater than your whatever. It means that Jesus is greater than your whatever. You just fill in that blank. So what's going on in your life that Jesus is greater than? Is it health issues? Is it relationship issues? Are you having financial problems? Are you know, um, you know, just life, your career, your schooling, your education? Because the author says, if Jesus is greater than everything, that means that Jesus is greater than your, you just fill in the blank. And what he is urging his congregation, what he is urging his audience is, you know, don't lose what you got. Don't lose what you got by turning away from Jesus. Because that's what was going on uh, with these Jewish Jesus followers. They were saying, hey, maybe we should just go back to the old ways. Maybe we should go back to the old covenant. Maybe we should still be under Mosaic law. Maybe we should just go back. Now this week, here's what I want to do. I want to hit two different things. First up, I need to talk a little bit more about this Mel. Kizadek guy. I want to give you just a little bit more information about him, and then we'll circle back to him in the final two weeks. But I also want to talk about this God-given life principle that the author, the preacher just puts out there, a principle for life that God asks us or tells us to live by. And I want us to discuss that a little bit, and it's all about money. But first of all, let's talk about this unique Melchizedek guy. Uh, We find this, chapter 7, verse 1. This Melchizedek was king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God most high. Now, before we dig in any further, I want to ask you a question. Maybe you have been a follower of Jesus for like decades. You've been following Jesus for a long time. And here's my question is this. How often do you think about Melchizedek? Uh, Is it like a constant thought in your mind? Or is it like, Doug, really, until last week, I had never really even heard the guy. I don't know what this is all about. Where would it probably be? For most of it, it would be like, okay, I don't even know who this guy is. I don't give him a lot of thought. 
And the reality is, if it wasn't for the book of Hebrews, most of us would have no idea at all about Melchizedek. He's such an obscure character, such a short part uh, of the Old Testament story, a part that we often don't even read through or teach through, that we don't know much, if anything, about him. But if you want to go back and you want to see this week, just go back to Genesis 14, because in Genesis 14, you're going to hear his story. Uh, Right up front, it's all about Melchizedek and his encounter with Abram, who then becomes Abraham. That's where you're going to find out more. But the reality is, is that you and I, we're not familiar with this story. But his audience, the original people that were listening to this preacher, this author, remember, they had memorized Genesis by the time they were in their single digits. They knew this story. They had this story memorized. They are familiar with what the author is talking about. When the author referenced Melchizedek, they knew exactly what was going on. But you and I, not so much, right? Not so much. So just some brief background about what's going on in Genesis 14. Abram uh, is, you know, sort of that forefather of our faith, and he is returning from a victorious battle. But a little further beyond that, what had happened? Why is there this battle going on? Uh, Invaders of Sodom uh, had come in, uh, they had pillaged, and they had carried off Abram's nephew, Lot, and all of Lot's relatives, his family, and all of Lot's stuff. And uh, somebody escapes, they make their way back to Abram, and they tell him what has gone on. So Abram gathers like 300 plus of his skilled warriors, his mighty men, and they're sort of this clandestine, like, night mission. And this battle ensues. And by God's power and strength, Abram is successful. Uh, He brings back his nephew Lot. He brings back all the stuff. And on his return from battle, that is where Abram encounters Melchizedek. That's the story behind the story, what the author of Hebrews is referencing. Now listen to how the author retells this story in the second part of verse one. Let's pick up where we left off. When Abraham was returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. Then the author goes on because he gives a little bit further explanation of who this priest, who this king is really like. And in verse two, he says this. He says, the name Melchizedek means king of justice and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the son of God. So let me clarify what the author is clarifying. Melchizedek, man, he is unique by all standards. He is both high priest and he is both king. He's a high priest, but he's not from the tribe of Levites where all the other priests come from. He is simply unique by all standards because no other kings were priests and no other priests were kings. Melchizedek is unique. And the author is sort of explaining 
Melchizedek as a foreshadowing of our ultimate high priest, a foreshadowing of the Messiah, of Jesus, our Savior. And this is important because in the next two weeks, in the next two weeks, this is where the author is going. This is his, remember, that circular greater than argument. Jesus is greater than you fill in the blank. Jesus is greater than everything. Since Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, the founder of the faith, here is why Jesus is greater than Melchizedek. And Jesus is our high priest who is greater than the old priesthood. And Jesus has established the new covenant, which is greater than the old covenant, which became outdated and obsolete. And we get this. Hopefully you understand this. That Jesus is greater than everything. And that's where we're going to continue on with our final two weeks this summer. But today I want to talk a little bit more about a life principle that the author, the preacher, mentions here. And I want to tell you up front, this is something for you. I don't want something from you. This is something for you. Because you, many of you live this life principle out already. You get this. You own this. It's just a part of who you are. And for us as a church, I'm glad to tell you, like, we're, like, in the black financially. In early summer, we were a little bit in the black. And, you know, some summers we go into the red. But, man, this summer, because of your generosity, we just went further into the black. But this is a principle that God has for you and something that I want for you, not from you. In other words, this isn't a fundraising message along the way. So this is a life principle from God for our benefit. Go back to that beginning, chapter 7, verse 1. And what we find out here is Abraham took a tenth. He took a tenth of all he had captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. And then in verse 4, it continues on, and it goes on. Consider then how great this Melchizedek was. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken into battle. Now, the law of Moses, that old covenant, that Mosaic law, required that the priests who were descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel who were also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who was not a descendant of Levi, he wasn't from that tribe, he collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And throughout this scripture, you continue to see this a tenth, the tenth, a tithe. And once again, you know, the original audience, they knew exactly what the author was referencing. But you and I, we're not under the the Old Testament law. We're not under the Old Covenant. You're getting that right. We're people of the New Covenant. Jesus didn't show up, die, and was resurrected uh, just to take an old covenant and make it better. He came to fulfill the old covenant and establish this new covenant. So if you're a Jesus follower, you get this, right? If you're a guy, you get to have a beard or not have a beard. If you have a beard, you get to choose to trim it or not trim it because you're not under the old covenant. You're not under the Mosaic law. Moms and dads here, you have a son. You get a choice. You don't have to circumcise him on the eighth day. You can choose to circumcise, not circumcise. It doesn't matter the day because you're not 
under Old Testament law. Have you ever been here on a Sunday and noticed that somebody was bringing a, a dove or a sheep or a goat or oxen up to the altar like to be sacrificed to God? Thankfully, no, right? I get squeamish at the sight of blood. That'd be horrible. I could not do that, right? And you don't do that because you're not under the old covenant. You're not under Mosaic law. How many of you, just for fun, are following a kosher diet? Anybody here following a kosher diet? Okay, that's no one in the room is following a kosher diet because you don't have to. Because you're not under the old covenant. You're not under Mosaic law. And the list goes on and on and on. All the things that are different under the new covenant that Jesus established. Why we're people of the new covenant. Fully living in that. Not trying to keep one foot in the old covenant and one foot in the new covenant. We don't keep all of those laws. But this principle of a tithe or a tenth, this life principle, it isn't just simply Mosaic law. It isn't just simply something from the old covenant. It actually existed well before the old covenant was established. It existed before Mosaic law was established. And if you're looking for an interesting study, go back into the beginning, your earlier books of scripture, the pre-Mosaic law, the pre-old covenant, and see what are some of the principles of life that God gives us well before the old covenant was established, well before Mosaic law was established. Because see, the God's principles for life, they were before the old covenant, they are after the old covenant, they remain part of how we follow Jesus in the new covenant. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Long before, thou shall not kill, there was Cain and Abel. Long before thou shalt not steal, it read, if a man shall steal an ox or a sheep. And these principles of God, these principles for life, they existed before the Mosaic law. And they exist after the old covenant has been made obsolete and outdated. And the preacher of Hebrews, he is referencing a principle that his original listeners fully understood. It's the first fruit principle. First fruit principle. The first and the best belongs to God. It's both in our Old Testament and in our New Testament. It's not a law. It flows not out of obligation. It flows out of gratitude. It's simply saying to God, thank you for all that you have given me. It's honoring God. It's respecting God with our first fruits. And I think most of all, it is a statement of trust. It's saying, God, I trust you. I I'm giving you the first. I'm giving you the best. And I'm trusting you to handle everything else to meet all of my needs. This first fruits principle, you get it? Let me explain it a little bit like this. You have a guest of honor at your home. Or you're throwing a party uh, for somebody that you want to celebrate, you want to honor, you want to respect. Do you make them go last in the food line? Do you just put them at the worst table? Think about it like this. You've been to a wedding recently. Weddings have changed, but there are some things that are still the same, right? Where do the bride and groom most often sit? 
at that place of honor, that place up front, it is the first and the best. They're usually not even hungry, but who usually gets fed first? The bride and the groom, right? It's that place of honor. It is that place of respect. The honored guest eats first. The honored guest goes first. And we see this principle playing out way back in Genesis 14. Way, man. We're talking about so long before any old covenant is established, before any Mosaic law has been written. Way back then, this principle for life shows up. And Abram, fresh back from battle, victorious because God came through in powerful ways. He meets up with Melchizedek, and he offers him the first, the best from the battle. We see this in Exodus, chapter 13, way before the Old Testament law. Reads like this, and the Lord said to Moses, duplicate to me, dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. In Joshua 6, way before the old covenant, Jericho, the first city to fall. Verse 18 says this, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble to the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. And there was a list of examples of this principle, this first fruits principle, and a list of examples way before the old covenant was established, before Mosaic law was established. The list goes on and on. And maybe you've heard one of two extremes, and I want to make sure we avoid these two extremes. One is this. You've heard, hey, we're not under the Old Testament law, which is completely true. We're not. Therefore, you don't do this. Don't, you know, give. Don't worry about first fruits, all that kind of stuff. That's the one extreme. It's true that we're not under the Old Testament law, but we're still under God's principles for life. And then there's this other extreme. Have you ever heard this one? Give and God will give you back more. In other words, people will talk about this like it is an investment strategy. Uh, you give with a shovel and God gives back with a bulldozer. That's not what this life principle is all about. We don't treat God as an investment strategy. This isn't about getting wealthy. This is about honoring God. I remember when we were um, newer to ministry, and there's a couple, we went to their house, and, you know, we were explaining, you know, what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus and develop those relationships, and through time, they made a decision to follow Jesus, and, and growing, maturing, and faith-taking steps. And they came to the conclusion, you know, at a later point in time, that they wanted to do this. They wanted to do this first fruits principle. They wanted to start giving to God, and they set that percentage in their mind. And I remember what happened that first month. Significant breakdown to the car. The air conditioning, the air compressor on their house went out in Florida in the summer. And one of their kitchen appliances totally just bit the dust, all in the first month of deciding to follow this principle. 
And I'm like, you know, it's not an investment strategy. You're not guaranteed things like that. That's not what this is about. This is about honoring, showing respect and attitude of gratitude to God. But it's Proverbs 3 where we hear this principle and some people take Proverbs and they think it's the book of promises, right? Proverbs are wise sayings for life. Most often you do this, then that will happen. We get that, right? There's plenty of Proverbs that talk about living a righteous life and your days will be long. But you and I all know people that were living a very righteous life and their days were cut short. It's not a promise it's a proverb. That's what the author was conveying. In Proverbs chapter 3, it reads like this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. That's that first fruit idea, right? Then, you, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. But it's not an investment strategy. It's not the reason for doing this. You don't do A to B, get rich. It's just so often when we prioritize correctly when we show gratitude and thanksgiving to God and give him the first and the best. So often this happens, but it's not an always principle. And you and I both know people who have been practicing first fruits. And then that health crisis comes their way. And it seems like the barns and the vats just suddenly get very, very empty, right? It's a proverb. It's not a promise. And one of the reasons that we refer to this as the first fruit principle is that God is always clear on the order. First invest to him and then enjoy the rest. Now, if we're honest, most of us want this to be different. If we're honest, most of us maybe in our mind or out loud have made agreements with God that reverse this order. God, if I would just win the lottery, then I will, right? God, as soon, as soon as I pay off my mortgage, then I will. God, if I would just get that promotion or that raise, God, as soon as I pay my bills and get things in order, then I will. We want to reverse the order. But that's not first fruits, that's leftovers, we're trying to reverse the order, saying, you know what? Once God blesses me, then I'll give. And God is simply like, man, you are already so blessed and you're missing it. All that you have, man, the relationships in your life, all the things that I've given to you are receiving a blessing from me. I think a great question to always ask is, God, am I giving God my leftovers or am I giving God my first fruits? Do you get that? If Denise and I go out and we buy a new couch and I go to Pastor Philip and I'm saying, hey, student ministries, do you want our old couch? First of all, Philip says, no, I don't want your old couch, right? But that isn't giving our first and our best. That's just giving our leftovers. That's giving out of our excess. That's not giving God our first and our best. There's nothing wrong with giving God leftovers out of excess but it's not the first fruit principle. And you might be asking yourself, but why does God really care? Why does God really care that it's up front? Why is this first fruit principle like for our lives? Why would he even want us to live out of this principle? 
Because when we live out of this principle, we are constantly reminding ourselves that everything that we have is a gift of God. Look at how James, the brother of Jesus, says it. He says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Don't be deceived. I read this, I'm like, Doug, don't be deceived. Because, man, isn't it so easy to deceive yourself? Doug, don't be deceived. You think that, you know, all that you have is a result of, like, your hard work. Doug, don't deceive yourself. Doug, you think you have stuff because, you know, you just day in, day out do the things that I've asked you to do? Don't be deceived. It's not all about you. It is a blessing for me. Doug, don't be deceived in thinking that you just simply deserve a good and easy life. Every breath that you have, every day that you have is a gift for me. Doug, all the stuff that you treasure most, your family, your friends, those relationships, that intimate relationship that you love to have with your heavenly father, don't deceive yourself into thinking that it's all because of what you've done. It's all a gift for me. It's all a blessing for me, says God. And when we give to that back to God out of this first fruit principle, we are simply acknowledging and expressing an attitude of gratitude to the king of kings. Take a look at how the apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter four. What's going on here? Uh, Paul, you know, the missionary, he's planting churches, he, he's traveling around, and that church in Philippi, they supported him. Not just when he was doing ministry work in Philippi, they continued to support him when he went to other places in the name of Jesus. And he's thanking them because they're the rarity. Other places he planted churches, that didn't happen, but they did. And he says it like this, he says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. It's that whole idea, I don't want something from you, I want something for you. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And then, because of who you are, come on, you Philippian Christians, because of the way that you live, because you do this whole first fruit principle, you live it out, because of all of that, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do you see the principle, how it plays out way before the old covenant, way before Mosaic law? And way after the old covenant is outdated and obsolete, it just goes on and on. It's a principle for life. So here's God's financial formula. Maybe you've heard this before or some version of it. You go to most any person who helps out and shows you, you know, how to create a budget, how to manage your finances. They'll give you, hey, this is God's basic formula. It's give, save, live on the rest. It's usually give, save, live on the rest. And when we give, it's all about honoring God. That's why we give. 
You save, some people will say, what are you doing? You're just sort of paying your future self. But then you live on the rest. And when you live on the rest, you find contentment. But what do we all want to do? We, we want to reverse the order of all this, right? We're like, well, if I just do more, if I live more, then I will find contentment. And once I can find contentment, then I'll start to save. And then once I save, then maybe I'll be able to give. We want to reverse the order. Because like, no, that, that's not the way this works. That's not that first fruit principle. You find contentment by living on the rest. And we don't always get this right. We don't always live this out. Come on, Denise and I didn't always get this right. First part's been a part of our life forever, right? But whenever Denise got the privilege of being a full-time stay-at-home mom or working part-time and I was a church planner, we totally skipped step number two. Like we're paying the penalty right now for like skipping the step number two for way too long. But when God says, man, when you live by this, this is my principle for life. This is the way I designed you to view and interact with money. When you get that first fruit principle, when you start to live and you own this, this is when you find real contentment and fulfillment. This is the way that I designed you to live this out. So here's a question for you. What does this look like in your life? On your connection card, it'll read like this. It's a simple question. I'd love to know what it looks like for you. It says, this is what generosity and the first fruit principle looks like on me. Because it's a little different for all of us, right? Some of you, you were raised in your home, and this is what it looked like in your home. Maybe you're already doing this. Some of you, man, when your parents would get that paycheck, it was payday. The first check they always wrote was written out to their local church. And then it got stuck in that front flap of their Bible to wait for Sunday. That, that's what it looked like for some of them. For some of you, you've already set up, man, you have like automatic giving set up. That's what it looks like for you. Uh, for Denise and I, the way it's always looked is we always wanted to give beyond 10%. And we lived that life principle so that we could not only bless a local church, but we could bless other Jesus-centered nonprofits and organizations. Some of you, it looks like this. You stick to a budget so that you can save with a purpose of being able to bless others as God brings them across your path, people in need. Some of you, you crazy kids, you've been giving to the capital fund. We're debt-free. You have no idea where the capital fund's going to. We might build a 40-foot pink neon cross, right? But you like give to like capital fund anyways, because that is just a part of how that first root principle, how generosity looks in your life. And those lists of examples of first fruit living of generosity goes on and on and on. But what does it look like in your life? Because God wants something for you. He doesn't want something from you. He's not concerned about your money but your worship, your love, your honor, your respect. That's the heart that God is looking at. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you want what is best for our lives. And so often we just excuse away the things that are no longer part of our lives, the things that were part of that old 
covenant or that mosaic law that we're no longer under. But may we be reminded of the principles that you have given us for life that existed well before the old covenant that exist continue today in the new covenant. So simply may we figure out what it looks like in us. Just a personal conversation between me and you, between the people listening and you. What does this first fruit principle look like in my life? What does generosity look like in my life? What would it look like to show you respect and honor and gratitude first and foremost above everything else? We open ourselves to those conversations. Holy Spirit, may you speak clearly to us. If there's some nudging that needs to go on for our benefit, just nudge away. If we can talk to other people about this, why we have made this decision and what it looks like in our life, just enable us to humbly have those conversations. That we do all of it to point people to you for your glory and for your honor, for the expansion of your kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.